On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. So, Hollywood, everybody's talking about Motley Crue these days and what they did or did not steal from Kiss. And let me just tell you this, one thing for sure that this band stole from Kiss, there's a lot of shit that they stole from Kiss, but one thing this band certainly stole from Kiss was the importance of hyping a project. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, they know how to market themselves. Like Nikki purposely goes out and starts like, just basically stirs up crap just so his name can be said over and over and over two weeks before they have stuff released. Like, they know what they're doing. There's no doubt. Yeah, because let's face it, any publicity is good publicity. You know what I mean? That's right. That's absolutely <laughs> correct. <laughs> so so for months, and, and in fact, even years, we've heard all about the movie, The Dirt. I mean, all this stuff, it really has had people talking. They've been more in the public eye and more in the media really since they stopped touring than when they were actually out there touring. Would you agree? Yeah, you could also, you know, you could argue they have more time to do it, right? When you're out there touring, you're trying to basically do a media blitz in the town that you're playing that day, in the city you're playing that day. But when you're not touring, you got all the time in the world. You don't have to do anything if you don't want to. But if you want to be in the public eye, it's easy to do so. I I guess that's a good point. Of course, Vince Neil, he's never quit touring. He's out there playing shows on a regular basis, isn't he? Uh, He's playing shows, but I don't know if he's singing any of the shows. But he's out there on stage, (laughs) supposedly. He never sang any of the Motley Crue shows. (laughs) Uh, At the beginning, they did. Like For all the complaining I do... About who Motley Crue is today or was or not going to be anymore or whatever. That last four or five years, I mean, just were horrible. I still went and saw every show since Theater of Pain. So I'm a total, you know, talking through my ass basically because I still went to every show. But for some reason, I got to complain about it. All right. Well, we're going to get into all things Motley Crue because you and I are going to share our top five Motley Crue songs at this moment, as we do on Growing Up Rock. And you and I also took the time to see the Dirt movie, which was released as of recording, released this morning. So this is a very timely uh, recording. We're going to get into all that. But first, we need to do this. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right, so everybody's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. You can tell that story at growinguprock.com. 
Motley Crue sure as hell had a rock and roll story to tell, and they told it in the biography, The Dirt. I had a chance to read that book roughly about two years ago. It was a very, very entertaining book. I couldn't put it down. I enjoyed it, but I enjoy that kind of shit. You, however, did not have a chance to read the entire book, correct? Yeah, I own the book, but I am not an avid reader. I'm an audiobook guy, and this isn't available in audiobook. So there's some YouTube videos where there's a lady talking through all the chapters, and she basically does her kind of ghetto-fied audiobook. So I've listened to a little bit of it, and of course I was around when some of these stories happen. Yeah, exactly. So let's not waste too much time. Let's get directly into this. So share your story. What was your first encounter with the crew? Yeah, so I'm an MTV kid. My encounter with the crew was Home Sweet Home, Shout at the Devil videos, Looks That Kill, that kind of stuff. But my first concert was actually a Motley Crue concert. 85, I saw him in Sacramento. I was in high school, was a junior in high school, and it was a theater of pain tour. And it was one of their first dates, I remember that. And uh, I remember I was in total denial that they were in this spandex and the makeup and the stuff that they had at Home Sweet Home. I was kind of in denial. I was thinking that I was going to see the Shout at the Devil Motley Crue. I was completely wrong. My first concert, Loudness Open, Loudness was great. But one thing I did notice It was wall-to-wall women, and I'm like, man, I got to go to a lot of rock shows in my life because if this many women show up every time, which didn't ring true in all other rock shows, by the way, because I went and saw Invade and it was all guys a few (laughs) few months later. But uh, So that was my thing of Motley Crue, and then I have not missed a tour from Theater of Pain all the way through because they were a California band, so they were always around. Yeah, that was not my particular situation with Motley Crue. So I didn't end up seeing Motley Crue live until the Theater of Pain tour. That's when they finally rolled through my town. I have an interesting story that surrounds that. My first encounter with Motley Crue was when a friend of mine from California gave me one of those uh, Maxell tapes and it had handwritten on it, Motley Crue Leather Records. And I wished I still had that cassette. It was not a store-bought cassette. It was just a dubbed-off, like, Maxell tape. But this was back in the early 80s or so. And I remember putting that on, and the first thing I heard was Livewire. Now, I'm assuming, listening or thinking back on this, that this must have been the original leather record release before they had their deal with electric because this would have been back in the early 80s that I had this friend from California. So I remember hearing Livewire and I remember thinking the music really kicked ass, but the singer had kind of a weird voice. I didn't dislike it. I just thought it was different. It was strange. It wasn't, it sounded a little bit different. So, you know, once Shout at the Devil came out, I was a huge fan at that point by the time that that happened. Theater of Pain came through my town. I'm jumping around because I didn't get a chance to see the band until Theater of Pain. Theater of Pain band came rolling through my town. I worked for the local arena, and I had the opportunity to assist Tommy Lee's drum tech in setting up Tommy Lee's drum kit for that show. And I also got to meet him that evening. Uh, which would have been the first of several times that I met Tommy Lee. And he's the only guy in the band that I've ever met. 
uh, but I met him a few different times. So that was my first experience with uh, the crew. Yeah, I've not met, I've only met Vince. I've not met the other three guys. And I only met Vince because he was playing, uh, I think, Let It Ride or Blackjack at Hard Rock one day when I was in there. Yeah. Uh, so that was years ago. This, uh, we're talking skinny Vince, so this was years ago. But yeah, I've not met the other guys. Was he cordial to you? I uh, seemed nice. I mean, he had he had a woman with him, two bodyguards. You know, he was uh, he was feeling pretty good. He wasn't totally wasted, but he wasn't you know an ass about anything. He seemed like a nice guy. Right. Okay. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, you want to talk about this movie or what? Yeah. So let, let's start here now. If you have seen the new Queen movie and you're thinking that this is going to be like the Queen movie, you are absolutely incorrect. Stop thinking and just go see the movie. If you thought, like I did, a little bit, I remember when I first saw the Queen movie, I'm like, man, this thing's a little tame for what the Queen movie could have been. Oh, this is no holds bar compared to that. Like these guys took it to the other way where I was like, God, this this movie, you could have not been that crazy. Like you could have brought it back a little bit. So, so if you were upset that basically they made the Queen movie into like a Disney movie, you won't be upset at the dirt for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's probably that statement uh, is fair. I think probably compared to what really happened, given the time frame of this movie, I think that the movie was probably a little bit tame compared to what really happened out there on the road. You know, just knowing that it was the 80s and knowing what was going on at that point in time, I think it was definitely tame. But yeah, definitely an R-rated movie any way you look at it. So for sure. Yeah, and I thought uh, overall the movie did a good job of exploring all four characters, right? So everybody kind of got their time in the sun. I would say Nikki got a little more time and Mick probably got a little less time, but Vince and Tommy get plenty of screen time. So that part is really not the issue. I was a little worried about Tremaine, Jeff Tremaine directing the film because I am not a big fan of the jackass films. I think they're stupid. I get it. There's place for stupid humor like Ron Burgundy. I like that kind of stuff, but jackass, it just didn't, it wasn't my thing. So I was worried this was going to end up like one of those movies, and it wasn't. I thought it was funny in the places it needed to be funny. I thought it was sad in the places it needed to be sad. But unlike the Queen film, which seemed to be very Freddie Mercury, these guys did a better job of balancing all four guys. Which is kind of what the movie is. I mean, if or what the book is. If you read the book, you understand that it's told from four different people's perspectives. And they didn't really do that with the movie, but they did balance it out where each one of them kind of has their own part that they're telling. But the feeling, the overall feeling I got from the flick is that they're kind of telling Nikki's story. You know, it's Nikki's band. It's kind of his point of view, even though they do check in with some of the other players once in a while and gets their point of view. Yeah, I thought that a little bit, but then... If it was that, let's say it was that, then Nikki did a great job of not making Vince look like a complete ass. Then he was very, very nice to Vince's character because he could have told his side of the story and that might have been a little ugly. My guess is everybody had a little bit of a hand in it and they all do get co-producing credit at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, although we all know that really Nikki and Tommy were kind of the driving forces behind this Netflix thing. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so let's start with, we should start and just kind of go through the film. Let's start with the acting. What was your overall feeling with the characters and the acting uh, that was going on in the movie? I thought all four actors did a great job, so much so that I didn't like the Vince Neil actor. And I'm like, you know why? Because I don't really like Vince Neil. So, I mean, he even acted the part to where how I feel about the real band. I absolutely love the Doc McGee guy. His name is David Costabile, and he is in a Showtime feature, like reoccurring series called Billions. Dude, if you've never seen Billions, you want to check that out. It's awesome. So I've always liked that actor, but even the lady that played uh, Heather Locklear, God, she almost looked like Heather Locklear. So I thought the acting was pretty good. The young Nikki, wow. I was like, damn, I just got goosebumps telling you. When he was yelling at his mom, I'm like, dude, I would have punched that kid. <laughs> he was brutal. Yeah, so and maybe it's going to take another couple watches from me just to really sink in. And I hate to keep doing this, but I have to compare to the Queen movie. And the reason that I say that is because it's the most recent rock bioptic picture that's been made. So, and I think a lot of people are going to try and compare and I'm not comparing budget to budget or, you know, big screen movie to Netflix movie. I understand that there are going to be differences involved in all of that. Here's my issue with the queen movie. I felt like, and believed the acting and the actors that were going on, whether it was the Freddie Mercury actor or the Brian May actor or whatever, Roger Taylor, et cetera. I felt like that was really happening and it was believable. And maybe it's because I know Motley Crue much better than I know Queen in terms of just, you know, I mean, Motley Crue was in my top 10 bands. So there's a difference there. I didn't feel that way with the actors from the dirt. The only person, well, let me rephrase that. The only person that I thought they nailed, and again, maybe it's because I've met him a few times, but the Tommy Lee guy, that's exactly how Tommy Lee was all times that I met that dude. He was exactly like that. So that guy, in my opinion, nailed Tommy Lee's character. Machine Gun Kelly, right? Right. Yeah, he nailed that character. But the rest of them, when I was watching it, I just didn't feel like I was watching them. And, you know, that could be for several reasons, but that was just how I felt. Yeah, I think that's all going to depend on how big of a crew fan you are, right? So, you know, I usually talk in the terms of, you know, there's the folks that don't care about crew, don't know anything about crew, right? Then there's the folks that are very, very casual. They know Home Sweet Home. They know Smoke in the Boys Room and maybe two or three other songs. Then there's a step above casual that where that's me. That's where I'm kind of at with crew is I don't know a ton. I know what was in the news. I know what I've heard. I know, you know, I listen to the podcasts, read magazines, blah, blah, blah. So I know that stuff. You're probably the next step above that. And then there's the Uber fans that know like what, you know, Vince Neil's birth date is and that kind of shit. So for me, it was all believable. Probably the only place I absolutely agree with you is Booth, who was playing Nikki Six, he didn't exactly have the fire and rage of a guy that wrote all those lyrics. Like the kid did a better job of probably portraying Nikki than the adult did. Yeah. 
Yeah, agreed. But first of all, the movie's got nudity. It's got language. If you like mature-themed movies, it's everything that you would ever want. That's all there. But uh, no, I thought overall the actors did fine. I really, the reason I keep bringing up the Queen movie is the same thing. is because we just saw it. It's hard to compare it to each other because the budgets could nearly be the same. And there's no way, the way this movie is written, Century would have never touched this movie. It wouldn't have sold. Yeah. You bring up some valid points about being different, varying degrees of fandom with this band uh, is how you're going to take this movie. So I agree. That was just my take on it. My take on the acting, like I really thought the Tommy character nailed his character to a T. I just didn't think necessarily I believed the other three quite as much. So that's the uh, the only thing. And, I, you know, I don't know much about Tom Zutant, but they sure uh, made uh, Pete Davidson uh, portray and uh, Tom Zutant look like kind of a nerd, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, supposedly that's pretty dead on. But, uh, you know, I don't know the guy. And then, you know, we can talk about timelines. It's a 30, 35-year career in an hour 47. Yeah. They jammed some of the timelines together. They skipped over huge parts of the career. They ended somewhere in the 97 range, in my estimations. Like, this would have been better as a Netflix series and do like 10 episodes. Yeah, I agree. They definitely highlighted all the, for the most part, all the notorious crew stories that you've heard. You know, the Ozzy story and the um, Razzle story and, and, you know, all these big highlighted things, they highlighted those, but they didn't spend a lot of time on a ton of other stuff. They didn't touch like the Us Festival or any of that stuff. And I mean, that was a huge show for them, right? The Us Festival, because that was uh, right when they were coming out uh, with Shout at the Devil. And there were just, there were several like weird things that, I don't even recall being in the book. One of the first scenes that bothered the shit out of me was when Tommy Lee and his girlfriend go to see London play at the whiskey or something. And Tommy sees uh, Nikki at a Denny's after the show. And he basically fanboys out after Nikki, which I don't think that's accurate at all. Like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that doesn't make any sense at all. I, so I don't believe that that was an accurate portrayal. It made Tommy look like a fanboy to Nikki Six when Nikki was just in a basically a local band. So that was just a weird scene to me. Do you know what I mean? I know what you're saying, but knowing that Tommy and Nikki were heavily involved in the film, I got to say that's probably accurate. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know though. Yeah, me neither. I don't. I don't remember reading that in the book, and you know, I I don't know. There were a couple things like you know, the portrayal of Tommy was pretty much on. They made Vince a few times. I thought they made Vince kind of look like Spicoli, kind of act like Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridge My Eye, which you know, I know he was kind of a California surfer kid when he was growing up, but. I don't know. That just seemed a little bit too convenient, but maybe it's true. I don't know. I mean, out of the hour 47, I would be surprised if there's more than two minutes total where there's not either Coke or Jack on the table or in somebody's hand. (laughs) 
Oh yeah, it's all so, it's all sex, drugs, and rock and roll. There's no doubt about that. This yeah. this movie's complete yeah. sex, drugs, rock and roll. So much so the first scene in the movie is just like, oh my. <laughs> so Yeah. Unnecessary, honestly. That's just shock value. So there's there's a few parts of the movie and we won't ruin them for you, but Ozzy's in you know, Ozzy's portrayed in the movie shock value. The first scene in the movie, shock value. What the kid does to himself to get the uh, mom arrested, shock value. Like there's just things that they could have probably be left out of the story, but maybe you don't get as much shock value out of it. I don't know. Yeah. And some of it is known like fat. I mean, some of it is in the book. It's the same story they've told for years and years and years. They're sticking to the story and it made it into the dirt and now it's made it into the movie. And so there's nothing... We won't give it away because we want you guys to see the movie and just either like it or dislike it. It's up to you, but uh, we won't give away the scenes. But there are definitely, like Sonny said, there's scenes that are for sure shock value. And it starts with almost the opening scene in the entire movie. So, you know, take that for what it is. But definitely do not let your kids watch this movie. <laughs> Yeah, and the other thing, you know, again, we keep comparing it to a Queen movie, but it is what it is. So when I was done watching the Queen movie, I go, okay, if somebody doesn't really know Queen, I think they would enjoy this movie anyway. I'm not sure I can say that about the Motley movie because there's so many stories jammed and some stuff skipped that if you don't know the stuff that connects that they skipped, I don't know if you're going to understand the whole movie. Then it's just going to be basically about 80s lifestyle, there's debauchery, and you don't really understand the story. So until Nicole sees the movie, I guess I won't know that because she's not a huge crew fan, but I don't feel the same way I did about the Queen movie. Yeah, there's huge, huge leaps, and the leaps are really, really apparent. And again, if you're not a crew fan, you're going to, maybe you're not going to notice those leaps, but you're going to have a lot of questions, I would think. And then I'm going to give one more warning here. For the guys out there listening, if your lady, your significant other is proud of Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel and what it's doing for women, this movie ain't it. Do not let her see this movie. She's going to be punching you the entire time. This in no way, shape, or form does anything for women. This is not hashtag me too. This is hashtag, <laughs> this is hashtag what the fuck. Yeah. I, yeah. That part of the movie was, and it was interesting because one of the band members, you know, decides that they're going to be kind of like this moral person and they're sitting at the table when stuff is happening. So how moral are they? And, you know, so it's kind of weird in some cases, but uh, yeah, it's definitely not depicting women in the best of light. Yeah. So let's sum up this review and get into our top 10 because we've got tons of great music play and. So how do you want to sum up your personal opinion of this flick? Yeah, I would say the movie is exactly what I thought it would be from all the things that I heard. I haven't read the book cover to cover. It was enjoyable enough for me because I know enough about Motley Crue. If you have any liking to the crew and you know anything about the crew, this is well worth a watch. I would easily give it three and a half out of five stars, four out of five maybe even. I would not let my kids watch this movie and be careful what significant other you got sitting next to you when watching this movie. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. 
I would say that if you're already paying for Netflix, then what do you got to lose? Watch the movie. It's rock and roll. It's got a great soundtrack because they play all kinds of great crew music in it. Is it accurate? I read the book. I think the book is a much better overall thing. I'm not a big reader. I would much rather watch the movie, but the movie doesn't do the book justice as far as I'm concerned. There were gaps in it. There are parts that I didn't believe the actors that much. But overall, I'll say it's worth a watch. Definitely worth a watch just because it's a good time. I think that a lot of our friends and a lot of the uh, rock and roll community probably going to rip this uh, movie a new one. But I have stayed away from Facebook reviews and things like that on purpose before we got this recorded and out of the way. So I don't know what they're saying. Yeah, I saw some of the postings today and I saw some of the reviews today that people were doing yeah. outside of even the podcasting world. I would say it's 75 to 80% positive. You know, there's some folks out there that's like, why am I wasting my time with this two hours or whatever? I do not think by any means it is a waste of time. You need to see it because there's going to be people that tell you about it because some of the stuff is just unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you got to see it just for that, if nothing else. Morbid curiosity should make you want to watch it. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, like I said, are you paying for the Netflix uh, subscription already? And what do you got to lose? <laughs> I was already paying for Netflix, so I didn't go out and get Netflix just for this movie. So it's definitely worth the watch. If you're a rock and roll fan, it's worth the watch. And uh, they don't pull any punches, that's for sure, but they don't cover it all. And if you do like the movie, I would tell you go out and get the book and read it because you probably enjoy that. So there you go. Yeah, and then the last thing I'll tell you is I'm not sure I'd be comfortable watching this on the plane next to somebody. Just telling you. Uh, for sure not. Lots and lots <laughs> of uh, naked women and drugs and sex. And uh, yeah, probably not a good idea to watch this next time. <laughs> I'm not sure that my wife is ever going to see this movie. <laughs> I watched it I watched it on my own which you know is a little bit sad <laughs> but I felt comfortable watching it by myself <laughs> oh that's funny <laughs> alright well shit are we ready to get into our top five yeah you go first alright Cool. So we already talked about uh, how we got into Motley Crue. We talked about how we felt about the movie. And if you believe the movie, then this song is one of the first songs the band ever played live together. Check this out. Off the first record, Too Fast for Love. This is Take Me to the Top.
Yeah, this is Motley Crue at their rawest, right? Even the production's raw. This whole leather records, electro records, which copy do I got? Which version am I listening to? I don't have a clue because I'm not that super uber fan that can probably tell the difference anyway. But the production, yeah, it just sounds raw. It's 1981 and they didn't have any money behind them. But that raw thing almost attracts you more to them. So I think it's a great song. Yeah, I mean, the scene in the movie where they play their first live show, this is the first song that they play. This is the first song on the set list. So uh, that's what they're sticking to. I dig this tune. It's one of the better songs off Too Fast for Love, in my opinion. I like it. Raw. Gotta love it. All right, so my first pick. So for all the complaining I do about who Vince Neil is and how he sounds and all the bitching I do about how he sounds live with these guys... I have every record. I've got all the compilations. I've got all the box sets. I've seen them every year since 85, like we talked about. I still have to say everything at Generation Swine and newer, I'm not a huge fan of. Like, There's not a single album there that I like back to front, but there are some songs that still kind of grab me. And uh, my first pick is one of the songs off the last album, which technically was 2008. And it's the title track, check this out, Saints of Los Angeles.
Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, this is by far my favorite song off that record. There's a handful of other good songs on that record, uh, but I'm kind of with you where front to back, I really haven't liked probably that many crew records since 94. But Saints of Los Angeles, man, that, that song does kick ass. That's a kid song. Uh, so I dig that pick for sure. Yeah, what started happening at Saints of Los Angeles and also happened with these few tracks that they just released for the soundtrack, Take Like a Virgin out of the mix, actually just throw that in the garbage. I don't even know why they did that. But anyway, the other three tracks, they sound very 6 a.m. And that's because, like even this song, Saints of Los Angeles, I mean, it's written by James Michael, DJ Ashba, Marty Fredrickson from the Aerosmith fame and six, right? So because 6 a.m. sounds more modern, I think Nikki's just kind of bringing that sound and has been for the last 10 years, basically, into Motley Crue. Now, whether Vince can sing it or not, sometimes he nails it. I think in this song he did, and then there's some songs he doesn't nail it in. But I think that's what I like, is the, and I really like the 6 a.m. stuff, so this reminds me of it. So we go from something that's a little bit newer, like Saints of Los Angeles, to a record that basically secured my fandom and Shout at the Devil. With a lot of these records, Sonny and I can play the hits. Sonny and I can play our absolute favorite songs. But a lot of times you're going to hear the same tracks that are out there that probably get played more than they should. I'd rather turn you on to a song maybe that doesn't get quite as much love, but that I love quite a bit. And that's kind of the case with Shout at the Devil. I love Shout at the Devil. I don't think we need to hear Looks at Kills one more time. So here's a song off of Shout at the Devil that I love quite a bit, doesn't get enough love. Check out Knock 'em Dead Kid. <laughs>
Yeah, right from the beginning, uh, especially at Shout at the Devil and on, this whole gang backing vocal thing kind of ended up being the Motley crew like stamp. Yeah. So that whole thing about three or four guys in the background saying, you know, knock them dead, right? They yeah. do that a lot in other songs too. I love it. And even with Shout, they're still raw, right? It's still got that kind of like raw production, yeah. uh, which honestly makes the guitar like gritty, really like cut through all the music, which is cool to me. Yeah, because at the time of Shout at the Devil and it goes to the whole gang vocals and things like that, it really was them against the world at that point. I mean, you've heard it a million times and read it in stories. Motley Crue were a band, but they were also essentially like a mini gang. Uh, and so it comes across in the music. And a lot of that comes across in the gang vocals. Knock em Dead Kid is just another example of that. All right, so my next pick, similar to what Stephen was talking about, you know, we've I've got some picks later that people know, but I wanted to grab a couple that maybe people don't know. So Theater of Pain, Smoke in the Boys Room, Home Sweet Home. That's what everybody knows. That's what sold to 4 million records. I get it, right? But see if you can figure out what song this is just from the first verse. 90,000 screaming watts, honey dripping from her pot, fill the cup to the top tonight. This deadly sin is all we know. Pleasure victim, who's next to fall? The question is, will you please us all tonight?
Theater Pain, not my favorite Motley Crue record, but this is one of the songs that I like quite a bit. I almost picked this on my list as well. Yeah, and it's got a great solo. That song, you know, Tonight We Need a Lover, it's the first song on side two, and Theater Pain is hit and miss for me. There's no doubt. It uh, definitely was a uh, step back from Shout to me, but obviously it sold more copies because of Home Sweet Home and Smoking in the Boys Room, obviously, and it was my first show. So, you know, it always kind of have a little space in my heart. Yeah, there you go. A lot has been made about the member change when they got rid of Vince Neil and they bought in John Karabi and they put out the 94 record. And really in Motley history, they talk a lot about that. They even cover it like very, very minutely briefly in the movie. But one thing that people don't talk about that much is when Motley Crue put out New Tattoo Tommy Lee wasn't in the band, and they had bought in Randy Castillo. Randy had the cancer thing go on. They bought in uh, the girl, Maloney. I can't remember what her name is, her, her first name, but she came in and did the tour. So a lot of doesn't get talked about with New Tattoo, but in my opinion, New Tattoo has a handful of really good tunes. And this is a song, I love this song off of New Tattoo. Check out Punched in the Teeth by Love.
Yeah, so uh, Samantha Maloney is who you're talking about. Samantha. Seems like I would remember that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> this song's not exactly my favorite. It's okay. It's Vince's voice. When it gets too whiny, it's harder for me. It, it's okay. I just don't listen to Tattoo that much. And I, they just, like I said, they kind of lost me after Generation Swine. Yeah, I dig this tune, man. It reminds me a lot of just straight up crew. I just, I like the verses. I like the melody. I like the riff. Yeah, this is a great song. I, I really enjoy this song. And there are other songs on New Tattoo that I think are good as well. But that's just me. All right, so Grown Ups of the Week we met a bunch of people on the cruise, so we're going to hear some different names today because uh, we met some people on the cruise that were listeners that we didn't know about. And the Monsters of Rock, the Facebook pages are amazing, and uh, people follow each other, and they're posting all the time, and we've gained some listeners from there too, uh, which is awesome because, you know, we all love rock and roll. So thank you to David Hudson, Chris Vickery, Wolfgang Hill, Rock Doc Wayne, Eladio, Twisted Music City Rock Videos, Craig Osborne, Jody Havnot, Save Rock and Metal, Alan Tate, Shout It Out Loudcast, which is a great new Kiss podcast. I uh, really enjoyed them. They're like on their ninth or 10th episode, uh, so check them out. Shout It Out Loudcast. Uh, Rob Alanese, Dan Nation, Ryan Bannon, Bella Lowe's 1966, Marcelo Verzi, David Cathy, Ogata, Carrie Morgan, Michael Langan, too. Nicole Beard, Mark Arnold, Steve Wright, Chris James A., Fibonacci's Got This, Chris Sinzak, Andrew Block, Paul Neighbors Jr., Bill Algy, Brian Chapman, Potter Than Hell, Kalen Provo, Tony Masalem, Brad Rustoven, HairnetRadio.com, Digital Killed Radio Star, Bill Elam, Retro Mixtape, Ages of Rock Podcast, Rick Friel, Queen of Noise, Jason Kearney, Dennis Gennaro, T.W.A. Joel, Giles Cheatham, Tom Gigliotti, Rush Family Journeys, Daryl Albert, Trace Mess 469, Rodney Dixon, Mike in Fresno, Peter Cessary, The Peter Principles, Mark Winder 8, I Love It Loudcast, Music Palace Radio, Jason Bluski, Courtney Cronin Dold, Mike Parnell, Janet Eck, Damn Good Movie Memories, Restrained, Spitfire, Pinchos Balaleos, Raised by Gods, 76, Michelle Grasso, Henry Ocampo, Ken Katzenhuber, Kent Steele, Curtis Levon Maddox, Tulin Howie, Shamus Ganster, Jake Loveless, Barry G. Player, Kelly Fletcher, Thomas Bushong, Mark Scar, Toby Bryant, David Gironig, Serge Jelly, <laughs> DJ Judge Show, <laughs> Gary Woodson, Cobras and Fire Podcast, Dwight Burns Jr., Alexander Ford, Charles Inhatoyila, King's X shared us, Terry Glaze shared us, Tora Tora shared us, XYZ shared us, and there was a guy named uh, Jeff Reed, a new re- listener. Yeah, I just want to thank Jeff for reaching out and uh, really sent some kind words my way, so I appreciate that. If I butchered your name, I'm sorry, but I can promise you Stephen couldn't have done better. <laughs> I can promise you Stephen will never do better. Stephen trips over his everyday words, so he sure as hell can't <laughs> pronounce your name, which is why Hollywood does it. 
But I will say this, I do appreciate each and every one of you guys. We have had an amazing surge over the last two months of new listeners, old listeners, people that have been with us from the beginning, people that are just coming into the podcast now, people that have been binging, you know, and it's it's unbelievable to me. The Monsters of Rock Cruise was amazing. Uh, we met so many people from all over the world, people from, you know, Dublin, Ireland, and people from England that listen to the show. And it's just, it's, it's always crazy to me. You know, I know we're out there and we're available and you can get us anywhere in the world and that's cool. Uh, I love the fact that they're all like-minded rock and roll fans and that's what's cool to me, being able to share music, uh, new and old and just sharing memories and sharing, you know, stories. It's, it's fantastic. So, uh, thank you to everybody. We hope you continue to listen and you enjoy, uh, what it is we're doing. So awesome. All right. So getting back to the topic at hand, I'm going to pick the song everybody knows off the first album. And in the movie, uh, they talk about it a lot, and it's got a kind of uh, kind of some fun stuff in there, <laughs> especially what Mick does. It's it's pretty awesome because uh, Tommy and Nikki kind of put Mick in a weird situation. But anyway, check out the song Livewire.
Yeah, so if you believe the movie and you're following along, this is the first song the band kind of collaborated on and worked on together. Although Nikki basically had this song at that point. Uh, but this is the first song they worked up as as a band, if you believe the movie. Uh, great song. First Motley Crue song I think I ever heard. So, awesome. All right, so now it's my turn. So now we're going to go to that Theater of Pain record that I talked about and said, hey, it's not really my favorite record, and that's true, but it does have a handful of tunes, just like I told you earlier. And here's one of them that was actually demoed with Shout at the Devil. Check out Louder Than Hell. Yeah, I love the melody on that song, and Mick does a great guitar solo. Like it, Mick just has this knack of doing a great solo. It fits perfectly. It's just enough time. He doesn't show off too much. I've had a whole new respect for Mick seeing him live versus hearing him on tape because he is a perfect fit for Motley Crue. Yeah, this song, I mean, this song just makes you want to punch your fist in the air. Those bombastic drums at the beginning, I just, I love this song. This song yells rock and roll to me, and if this doesn't get you uh, pumped and excited, then 
I don't know what, what kind of music does, but I really dig this song off this record. All right, so my next song comes with a story, and uh, actually it connects to your next song. So Dr. Feelgood Tour, Oakland Coliseum, where the Warriors play, and uh, closed stadium, and the way the stage was set up is, you know, if you kind of look at a basketball stadium, one end of the basket is where the stage is, and then the entire floor is just general admission, and then they've got the seating, you know, uh, you would think in a round, but they block off the back behind the stage that you can't see them, right? So there's this U-shape. So it's just like any other basketball stadium. My girlfriend at the time, she wasn't really a huge crew fan, but I wanted her to go because I'd seen crew several times and field goal was hot, hot at the time. And I'm, you know, 21, 22 years old and uh, want to take this girl to the show. So we kind of maneuver ourselves all the way to the front before crew starts. And we're probably... Like it's the barrier, there's a row of people and it's us, right? So what I would do in those situations, which probably what most guys do, is the woman they brought, they put them in front so that way they can kind of put their arms around them. So if anything kind of crazy happens with a pit, that they're kind of protected. Show starts, they start with Kickstart My Heart. Place is jumping because it's 1991. I mean, the place is going nuts. Or 1990. Place is going nuts. They don't say anything. And go to Red Hot next, and oh my God, the people lost it. The pit started moving. All these had it been two, three thousand fans on the floor just started moving. I had to grab my girlfriend from right below her shoulder blades and pull her straight back out of the pit, all the way to the back of the arena, because it was about to get crazy in there. And I remember that the energy that Red Hot brings for that two minutes and twenty seconds is just incredible.
Gotta love that song. Always have loved that song. That was one of the standout tracks on Shout at the Devil when I first got the record. That that unbelievable long pick scrape at the beginning. I mean, how can you not love that? <laughs> yeah. And that's so when he started that live on I'm like, oh, oh, shit, they're about to go to red hot, right? And you could feel the crowd, like, ready to just start throwing blows. I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell am I doing in this pit right now? I got to get out. Yeah, love, love that song. One of my favorite tunes off that record. Awesome. All right, well, that brings us to probably the most... This is probably the most typical song we'll play, maybe Livewire, I don't know, but this song gets played a lot, but I'll be honest with you in saying that I never get tired of this song. I hear this song all the time. It's in commercials, it's on all kinds of things, but I just love Kickstart My Heart.
Yeah, from the second it begins to the voice box at the end that says, kicks down my heart. I mean, I love every single minute of this song. I have never skipped this song when it comes up on the iPod. Yeah, I, I literally, I just could not not play this song. It might very well be my favorite Motley song of all time, and that's saying a lot, but... And this song is so, it's so made for live performance. It's unbelievable. Like this song is the shit. I dig this tune for sure. Uh, So yeah, I had to play this song. So there you go. All right. So the last song we're going to play today uh, before we shuffle rattle and roll us out of here. So Motley releases Dr. Feelgood. In the end, it ends up selling over 7 million copies. Well, the next album was five years later. So in the 90s, like that's that's forever in a day. Today, five years is no big deal. In the late 80s, early 90s, if you're not dropping an album every 18 months, you're going to be forgotten about because there's so many bands coming out. It's ridiculous. So they decide, Electro decides to put together this thing called Decade of Decadence. And they had a couple of unreleased tracks drop. And Motley's management decides to release a single that hit number 63 on the chart and helped this compilation album go to number two in 91, which is just ridiculous for a compilation album. And it went double time platinum. So that's crazy. Love the gang backing vocals on this primal scream.
No, I, I would probably say this was the last great Motley song ever written. You know what I mean? Oh, you're saying Vince. You're saying last Vince song. Yeah, yeah. I take Karabi in '94 out of the out of the mix. In terms of the last Motley Crew that you and I grew up with, I would agree with that. With the Motley Crew that you and I grew up with, this was probably the last really great song written from that era because. You know, there was a lot of good stuff on Dr. Feelgood, and Dr. Feelgood, for the most part, was the last Motley Crue record that we grew up with that we thought was really good, because after that, it was 94, which we all loved, but then it was back to Vince and these records of, uh, you know, Generation Swine and Saints of Los Angeles, New Tattoo, all this other stuff that just, they were never quite the same as they were before so that's the point i was trying to make with primal scream i love this song yeah i would say that's accurate i've never thought about it that way before but yeah you're right because even after generation swine any song that i like isn't really the for them there's an outside uh songwriter or two or it sounds a little more modern and not the old gritty pissed off whether they're pissed off at the world or pissed off at each other that created this crew sound that Primal Scream still had, and nothing after that really had it. Yeah, and we never mentioned it earlier in the show, but we'll just we'll quick mention it now, which is Sonny and I really didn't talk about the 94 record in this episode because The Dirt is pretty much classic Motley Crue, and so we want it to stick to the classic Motley Crue. Sonny and I have both numerous times shown our love for 94 for crew 94 and John Crappie and that record. So we didn't, we didn't think really that we needed to acknowledge that record in this episode because it would have been easy for me to pick five songs off that record that I love. It's just, that's not the point. Uh, so we left crew 94 on the table and out of the mix of this particular episode. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that album gets a lot of love. Plus, we're talking about the original four guys, right? I mean, that is, whether I like it or not, that is what Motley Crue is, and there wouldn't be a Motley Crue without those four. Would I have loved Karabi from day one? Yeah, but they might not have been as big as they are today. Of course, I went out of format on New Tattoo and played Punched in the Teeth by Love, but that's just me. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I'll, I'll be forgiven. So listen, before we get out of here, if you're listening to this at release time, then next week we've got a special treat for you. If you're any kind of a KISS fan at all, uh, we are going to be doing something very, very special with the Potter Than Hell podcast. And we will kind of leave it at that. Be on the lookout for something that's coming up in conjunction with those guys over at the Potter Than Hell podcast. It's going to be super fun and super awesome if you guys are KISS fans. You agree there, Sonny? Very unique and never been done with rock podcasting as far as we know. So it should be fun. Absolutely. So be on the lookout for that. You will enjoy that. But until then, um, you know, continue to share and we appreciate everything over at Podchaser, at iTunes. 
Go to our Facebook page and by all means, let us know what your favorite Motley songs are. Let us know what you thought of the movie. We love talking back and forth with you guys on our Facebook page. It's fun stuff. So anything else you want to add there, Sonny? No, thank you for listening. And yeah, definitely give the movie a shot. It's worth a watch for any type of rock fan or if you're a crew fan at all. It's worth a watch. So that's it. We will talk at you guys next week. Until then, keep rock and roll alive. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. 
I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.